So tell me about um, sort of what then inspired this, because uh, you've had projects in the past that have you know gone to completion, others that seem like good ideas, and then maybe not so much. You've made a game together before. Um, why, why this game? Why uh, Metroidvania, you know, Devil May Cry inspired? Like what, what led you to want to make Vernal Edge? Well, um, I'm the one who started this project, and Alex joined on a little while after. And I started this project because uh, at the time I was focusing on freelance work, making art for other indie games. And I was just not having a very, I guess, invigorating time doing so. <laughs> you have to uh, accommodate for everyone's budgets and whatnot, and I really wanted to stretch my wings. So mm. I, uh, one time when I was particularly frustrated, I downloaded a bunch of trials for game engines and game makers stuck. And I said, well, you know what? I'm just going to make what I want to make, and I'm just going to make it stupid and big, and it's probably not going to go anywhere. And here we are two years later. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> Yeah, it's it's sometimes hard to tell what what's going to go somewhere and what's not, but you have to try. Yeah, and Alex joined on about somewhere between June six last, and eight months after that started. June of last year, so just about a year on the project. Mm-hmm. Um, as for like the the specifics of the game, I think it came from I'm in a similar place for both of us, where we just uh, uh, it, it's. A lot of it is a response, you know. A lot of it is just frustration. Like, man, I wish there were more games where you could. You, th- there was more free exploration, you know, stuff that isn't like. Okay, well, I have to backtrack through like a couple of rooms, but the game's like telling me exactly where to go. It's not like, you know, but the way that we both sort of long for the days, you know, like. Man, I remember playing this old RPG or, or Metroidvania or whatever, and you could just, there were just, you didn't know it was around the corner, you know? And it feels like a lot of the 3D equivalents, like what people would consider modern sandbox games, don't have that Symphony of the Night, Super Metroid feel, right? Like an open world can be big and empty and boring and uninteresting, right? Well, it's, yeah. it's totally different from a gameplay perspective when it comes to, like, most open worlds don't really function the same way that um, most Metroidvanias do. And we're trying to, like, we're trying to go in a direction where we can have it be maximally explorable like we want this is i don't want to say we want it to be so open that it's overwhelming because that's not the case um but we want to maximize your choice in where to go which actually isn't in a lot of metroidvanias isn't even really the case because a lot of times you're just going back to the the door you can now open but we're like what if we took that formula and added this island concept where you had a, a very broad choice in where to go in these little um, maps, and maybe there's like this part that you can't get to. Well, now instead of you know, well, I'll go, I'll go down the other hallway. The the question is, all right, now I have like all of these islands to go to, you know. Otherwise, and you, it's just something that it's a really addictive and and fun feeling to just. Oh, what's over here? What's over here? What's over here? You know. So, I, is it fair to assume that both of you have played Hollow Knight in the past? Yeah. Yeah. 
We streamed um, it uh, for our development stream. In terms of the feeling of exploring the game, um, for me, I'd probably say Hollow Knight and Dark Souls 1 are the games that have sort of that feeling that I'm looking for, which is that feeling of really knowing that there are so many more paths for you to explore and, and going down a, a path and, you know, you have like three hallways to go down to essentially, and you go down one and there's another branch and just being like filled with that sense of wonder of like, wow, there really could be anything. Um, and as far as Metroidvanias go, Hollow Knight is extremely open um, as opposed to a lot of them. So um, that's a big inspiration as well as seeing that formula done in a way that's a little more open-ended. And Matt, on the stream, uh, you had talked about uh, kind of a plan to include opportunities for sequence breaking and you know for clever players to be able to break out of uh, sort of what's expected or what's maybe the, the more obvious path. And when I think of Metroidvanias that really nailed that, Hollow Knight's always that one that comes to mind. So is, is that the same kind of yeah, there's a way to get up here that's the official way, or you can be clever and maybe get up here in like a, a sort of sneaky way. That's definitely a major part. Hollow Knight was inspiring to me and that once you get a power-up, there are multiple completely viable paths to take in order to progress the game. Sequence breaking, to me, stands out as something I really want to do because of Super Metroid. Mm. With um, it's having such a huge array of hidden mechanics. Well, it's probably only two or three, but they're really substantial. <laughs> <laughs> they're very, they're two or three very meaningful again. Playing through Super Metroid again, when you know about shine parking and wall jumping, opens up the game progression in a completely different way and lets you like try to go to places that you might not have the HP and missiles to go to safely right now and challenge yourself. And to just see how you can break away from what you know is a predetermined formula. Yeah, and I I think you you described it perfectly, right? Is I uh, maybe shouldn't go over here just yet, but I I love that being in my hands as the player. Um, Certainly not a Metroidvania, but in uh, the, the more modern Fallout games and even the original ones, if you are expected to go east out of the first town and you decide to go northwest, you probably die immediately. But the game doesn't tell you you can't go up into the Deathclaw factory. Like you, you can absolutely. It's, 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 I love that that immediate impulse because um, those games. I mean, I I haven't played much of the 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 Fallout three through four or um, the Elder Scrolls games. But something I've always liked is how they, when they release you, they tell you explicitly to go one way, and you know every designer in that studio they told you to go that way because they knew you wouldn't they tell you (laughs) go this way because they know that most people are or at least a large number of people are going to hear that and it's it's like reverse psychology you know so we're we're definitely that feeling of like well you could you know you should uh, go over here and do this but it's like oh there's this whole club what's going on over here in this island you know this totally unrelated thing um, What's this big wheel sticking up the side of the island? A, I gotta look at it. <laughs> there's a simple joy in just not doing what you're told. That's, I think that's a great way to sum it up. Is like they want me to do this, so I'm gonna do anything but that. Exactly. Yeah. It's just it's just fun. It's just a a fun thing to do. You know, 
is to just directly disobey. Because, I mean, you don't get much of a chance to do that in real life, do you? <laughs> there are consequences. But uh, that's one of the fun things about uh, games is, is exploring your own agency in a world where the consequences aren't real, you know. Um, but as for the, the combat, actually, because we've been talking about the exploration for a while. Yeah, and, and this is something that I think really got my attention when I first learned about this game, because... Uh, Matt, I can't remember if it was from you or if it was one of the other pixel artists uh, that you have worked with or that, you know, is, is part of that community. But I saw this game and I was just like, oh, that artwork is really pretty. And then I was looking at uh, animations of the combat style and I was like, oh, huh. Right. Because uh, Super Metroid, I wouldn't say has particularly novel combat. Uh, Symphony of the Night has a lot going on, but really you swing your sword or you cast a spell and, and that's kind of it, right? There's a lot of variety in swords and spells, but it, that's kind of where it stops. Um, Hollow Knight has a lot of complicated platforming while the combat is happening, but the the depth isn't, maybe I'm just a bad player, but the, the depth for me wasn't uh, like super varied, right? It, it's a lot uh, tied up in the nail and the platforming. And and none of these are bad choices, but you two went in a really specific direction, right? Where you, you've, uh, you know, called out Devil May Cry as an inspiration. Um, what is it about that kind of juggling enemies, uh, always, always be swinging, you know, switching from enemy one to enemy two to enemy three so that they can't get their feet back under them? Um, what about that did you want to sort of capture and, and why? So... <sighs> Just as a small aside, no, nothing against the other games that have less, um, I guess, dedicated action systems. Mm. Because for a lot of those games, the exploration is more of a focus. Mm-hmm. And so um, I still think Hollow Knight did a particularly good job because its combat system is just engaging enough. It's um, simple, but there's enough there to, to keep you um, sort of strategizing about it. Yeah, but the depth of combat in that game um, is more born from the behavior of the enemies you fight and how they make you react to them rather than your own kit of abilities. Mm-hmm. And we really wanted to have an expressive kit of abilities that you mm-hmm. could use when fighting enemies. Um, we don't get to show off much of this during the demo because time is finite, but we want to <laughs> give you... Uh, more spells and limited slots to equip them so you think more carefully about your own personal loadout going into encounters. You get to manage your items and um, we're still working on a system where you can equip extra contextual attacks or bonuses to your current abilities to help you make more cool and fluid combos. Mm -hmm. Even just in the demo, I found myself... Uh, when I was streaming it, really gravitating toward the 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 like buzzsaw spell because yeah, that, oh, that's that, my favorite too. Yeah. Well, that yeah. that gave me the confidence to say like I'm going to put my back to this guy for a second while the buzzsaw kind of deals with him, or I know his uh, health is low enough that the buzzsaw will finish him off while I go and you know dedicate my attention to this. Uh, baddie that still has full poise or that just got up and now their poise is restored and like I have to knock them back down so even just with the the spells and the techniques that are in the demo I could tell like these kind of flip 
fit my play style already. And those I could learn, but they're, they're the less naturally obvious choice for the way I play. And I can imagine that being very different player to player. Yeah. And as you would play through the final game, you would find more than four spells. (laughs) You get to really feel like you have a kit that suits how you play. Yeah. We, we really wanted, I mean, one of our, our core pillars is definitely player expression through the um, moment-to-moment mechanics, um, both in the combat and the movement. And we wanted um, multiple solutions to problems, but not in the way that it's very obvious, oh, you can do it this way or this way, but we wanted to facilitate like that sort of multitasking that you were talking about, where... Um, your choices are really meaningful, and there are better and worse ways to do things, but your tool set is so broad and the options are varied enough that there are multiple correct ways to do it. And it all comes down to what you're the most comfortable with, what you find the most fun, or, you know, if you're in a, a, any whatever given situation. And that must be the juggling act for you two as the designers is how do you have a lot of options and not have, you know, say 10, 10 options, one obviously wrong option, one obviously optimal option, and then eight kind of in the middle options, right? Is like, how do you, uh, and, and maybe this is too big of a question, but it's certainly something you must have to think about. How do you make sure if I choose to play one way, I can still enjoy the game as opposed to someone who chooses to play a different way and feels like it's a total cakewalk because this combination of techniques is undefeatable or this spell followed up by that technique always is like a damn near one hit kill, right? Those kinds of uh, balancing acts must be like an end and you know like a logarithmic problem like here's one more technique now we just made the whole combat system that oh yeah more complicated. <laughs> it's yeah it's, it's very hard i will briefly talk on this because this is uh, i designed most of the the moves so i i encountered this a lot um i guess this, this I, i'll frame this as kind of advice because i think it, it is the best way to do it is you need to create I guess what I call um, vectors for balancing, like because it solves multiple problems at once, right? We have a poise system, we have the stun system, and we have enemy health. Imagine in a world where Runledge only has health as a resource that enemies have. We could not possibly balance all these moves. Um, the fact that hitting enemies rapidly will stop their stun from decaying as fast. The fact that some moves deal poise damage and some enemies have or don't have poise means that we have more opportunities for functions that don't overlap. So this does low damage but does high poise damage. This does high damage but does no poise damage. Um, And it just makes the gameplay and decision making more interesting in and of itself. So it's better for us as designers for... um, actually making and balancing options and it's better for players because it's just more interesting to consider and there are more um, game states that are interesting to encounter. And how, how do you know uh, when you feel like, okay, this is, 
enough, right? Because an expensive toolkit, if the goal is more, there, there, there's potentially no ceiling on that. So how do you say, uh, you know, enemies have HP and poise, but they don't have seven other factors that you have to mitigate. And uh, anyone who's listened to recent episodes of Nostalgia Goggles knows that I have been uh, like subtweeting my complaints against Final Fantasy 13 a lot. And Ooh, <laughs> one of one of the things that I hated about that game is the way they implemented the stagger system because you just have to. I keep, know a lot of people have problems with that, right? It's like I have to keep a thousand different things in mind for each enemy on how I proceed, and it's it's too much. Like there's a deep and interesting system there, I feel but like it's it not would fun. Have been better if they they relaxed the ATB aspect and made it a little more turn based because it's easier to consider. You know, if you had to play like turn-based games in in real time, or imagine playing like a strategy RPG, you know, and and trying to manage micromanage all that stuff, and it's like sometimes you can mitigate it just by giving the player more time to decide. Because if the if the decisions are harder to make, you know, and and again, yeah, that can like cloud your mind to the point where it's just like, well, I can't pay attention to all this stuff, and it's just wasted design <laughs> you know because <laughs> yeah. nobody's gonna nobody's gonna think about it and we actually had that uh that problem at some point when poise was not in individual pips um the poise used to be just like a bar and every attack did this like weird nebulous amount where it's like this does like 150 and this does 125 this does 200 right um and we found that people there's no way they could have like known which are better for which situations. So they just don't engage with that and just like spam normal attacks at the enemies until they're stunned. So sometimes it's better to simplify a problem to the point where it's reasonable for people who've never played the game to get on the ground floor and understand the dynamics between the resources. Yeah, and that that's one of the questions that I was actually most interested in because... Uh, I'm pretty aware uh, as a game player what my limitations are, where my strengths and weaknesses are, because I spend a huge chunk of my life talking about other people's video games and thinking deeply about the games I've been playing. And what that made me question with a game like this is um, how do you, if you are trying to, and and this isn't a, a gotcha question, I'm just genuinely curious about it. Uh, how do you balance accessibility of the game with uh, some of these more complicated mechanics, because exactly as you said, I could just stand there and just, you know, mash standard attack until they fall down, but that's probably not super fun. But if the controls require super complicated, uh, you know, hair trigger response, uh, that might reduce the accessibility to someone who can't, you know, do those, those more complicated, you know, thumb fumbling. So um, mm-hmm. how, how do you sort of walk that line or, or is that something that you're even necessarily concerned with? Cause some games can't be, you, you can't go for the mechanics you want and make it available to every single player of every different games, literacy and type. So how, how have you thought about accessibility? Well, the biggest part of it, obviously there's literal accessibility, you know, um, offering options for people yeah, to let's, different control schemes. Let's draw a line right here. So much of accessibility does not overlap with um, game like mechanics and difficulty like at all. A lot of it's just like alternate control schemes, colorblind mode, stuff like that. So, but there are of course um, 
games again, games literacy, it's a sliding scale, and um, whatever other cognitive uh, concessions need to be made in the game can have an impact. Um, man, it's a big question. <laughs> well, here I, I have I've got a good starting point. A large component of it is uh, actually the expressiveness of the game. Because aside from having lots of attack options, we also have a decent array of defensive options. Mm-hmm. Um, Alex and I have cried about the fact that people don't block all the people time. People don't block. They, <laughs> but, um, we, love block, we love having more than just a dodge roll in games. But people don't... It's like people are so trained, they're like, alright, I got my invincible uh, dodge, and that's all I need. Yeah. <laughs> so... We have multiple um, avenues for dealing damage, and we have multiple avenues for staying safe. Mm-hmm. And blocking, I think, it has some nuances to it, like the fact that when you hit the block button, it only uh, it's only for a short amount of time, but you actually block attacks, and it's only in that one direction. Mm-hmm. So there's some nuance to it for like more advanced players to take advantage of, but people who don't have quite as good a sense of timing or positioning or spacing can rely on that option while they adjust to the game. Mm-hmm. As well as players who have a hard time keeping track of their charged attacks, for instance, I found usually tend to rely a lot more on the resource management components of the game. Mm-hmm. So they'll throw out a lot more normal attacks and spells and build up their resources. And I found that their completion time isn't too far off from players who have a more comprehensive understanding of their moveset. Yeah, there's definitely... We're definitely assisted in that aspect by how broad our design is. And again, in the full game, there's even more stuff like you, you can equip whatever spells suit you. So like, if you don't really feel like micromanaging your mana... You could just equip like four spells that take like a massive amount and do a massive amount, you know. Or if you, you know, if you uh, don't feel prepared for a boss, if it's like too too quick or too damaging for you, you can just go to other islands and get, you know, health upgrades and stuff. Um, so there's definitely other vectors for people to like make up for uh, shortcomings. Um, we also plan to include. If we have time, because <laughs> I, I we want to include as many accessibility features as we can, but we need to finish the game first. So I hate to I hate to guarantee anything, but we want to try to include an option to um, slow down or speed up the game based on because that doesn't you know and of course like an easy mode that's just um, and we don't want to half-ass the easy mode too much because I know that like it'd be so easy for us to be like all right you just get double health. But we still want people to like be able to engage with the systems. And I feel like it'd be really lame to Well a, a slowdown speed up, I think, is I mean, there there's no question the best accessibility mode I've ever seen. And when I say accessibility in this case, I do mean literal, you know, uh, needs of the human being and then also their their game's literacy needs being met, um, is is Celeste, right? The 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 accessibility features so good. Yeah, yeah. that's the, the biggest modern example, probably the biggest example, period. So you mentioned or or you maybe teased, um, because unless this was in the demo and I just missed it, uh, which is not impossible. Um, but it sounds like there will be some ways to uh, improve your avatar's strength, right? So Vernal can actually get 
uh, it sounded like more health, but then are there, are there going to be other, you know, kind of pseudo RPG elements where the, the avatar gets stronger as well as the player getting better? Or is it mostly the human player needs to, you know, get good. We're going to have a couple of those aspects, like just literally increasing the size of your health, mana and pulse resources. I'd say it's like 85% like player skill growth, but there is elements of, yeah, just little upgrades for your health and mana. And then also the equipable abilities, which will mostly be like things that, you have to take advantage of in order to use. So we don't want to have all of the, your little equipable abilities be like plus strength, you know? We want to have them be like, oh, this move gets this property, you know? So it changes sort of the implication of it. And you have to, you know, there's still, we're still relying on the player to actually take advantage of it. It's not free, you know? Yeah, ad- adding another tool, not just making the one hammer, they have a bigger hammer. Essentially, yeah. yeah. Or you know, changing the hammer to be, uh, you know, a mallet instead of a, <laughs> a one with the little screw thing on. I don't know what the term for it is, you know, but um, stuff like that. Um, there probably will be things that technically make you more powerful. Again, there's going to be health upgrades. So we're not shy about, like, making RPG-style upgrades. It's just not going to be a massive, uh, literally increasing the amount of strength you're character has is not a thing we're really interested in. You only really get the health and mana upgrades like (laughs) basically as excuses for us to throw harder challenges at you you know Um, and for you to like pay more attention to micromanaging your mana because you know you'll be able to use five spells instead of three before you run out. So tell me about the the feedback portion of this because you've both said you know, seeing players, watching someone play, you know, the the things you've heard or observed people doing. Uh, And I was uh, humbled to have both of you come and and watch my stream and chat with me about it. And um, I really appreciated that. But uh, I'm kind of curious what it's, what is that experience like for the two of you? So you're watching someone play. What are you watching for? What, what do you learn about that? And if you have one of these off the top of your head, uh, what's the most surprising thing you've learned watching someone play where you're like, oh, I didn't I didn't think of that at all. This this one totally caught me off guard. Well, I think I'm the one doing most of the watching these days. <laughs> I've, in the past couple of weeks, I've gotten so sick of the demo because I've been doing most <laughs> of like the programming and testing for the last couple months just because, man, um, you just so much pump out to a make. ton of arts assets for the demo. Mm-hmm. So and the trailer. Um so, I'm I'm so sick of it. I hate pe- watching people play now. <laughs> mm-hmm. uh, so luckily, I'm luckily not. I'm a bit more I'm a bit more less sensitive to that. So I've been watching <laughs> a lot of streams. Um, yeah. What I'm looking out for, obviously, bugs. There's there's smart. <laughs> <laughs> uh, I that saying, I guess. But yeah, but yeah. The big the big thing that I look for when watching people play now is I look for unexpected habits that they're carrying over from other games. Yeah. Like I've asked a couple people struggle particularly with platforming, and it's because they're not adjusted to um, ledge grabbing as it is now. Because the way we have ledge grabbing now is when you fall towards a ledge, you have to hold the direction to grab the ledge because we didn't want people to be accidentally grabbing ledge unless they intended to. Mm-hmm. 
But for some people with, who aren't used to that kind of functionality, they'll see that they came up short in the jump and just let go of the stick. It's 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 like how some people, when they're doing like an input in a game, mash. You know how like if you're trying to roll out of an attack, a lot of people will like just mash the roll button like seven times. I do that. Some people don't, you know. And there's some yeah. games that like punish those a little weird habits so we have to try to accommodate stuff like that and and know like you know not everyone has this particular instinct and some people have this other weird thing that you know it results in in them not being able to perform this reliably yeah like some people have even mentioned that they don't like hitting the jump button after getting stunned to recover from it right away and i'm just like but it lets you recover however you want (laughs) (laughs) and it doesn't Taking that feedback seriously, we we are absolutely taking all that feedback seriously. But it doesn't mean we're saying, "Oh, we have to change this." Because no, instead, um, we're channeling that energy to saying, "Like, okay, well, in the future, when we get to work on the full game, we have to teach the player how this works. We have to tutorialize it in such a way so that that disconnect isn't as big of an issue." Yeah, there's some things that people will say, like, "This feels weird," and you'll be like, "Okay, I'll I'll, I'll adjust that." And there's some things that it's like. Oh, this is like a little weird or a little difficult, and you just got to be like, "That's you got to learn the game." That's <laughs> that's the point. Yeah, that's the uh, the great burden of every artist, right? Is uh, saying this is the thing that I will accept feedback on, and this is the thing that is like, no, this is working as designed. <laughs> um, like, I'm sorry that you got hit, but you, you know, <laughs> <laughs> uh, we've and- had like complaints of like, "Oh, this why does this work like that?" That's you know, and it's like, well. It's it's specifically to punish the thing you're doing, um, but uh, you know you just have to make a call sometimes. Not every game is made for everybody, but we can take all that feedback and help people better accommodate the things they might not be used to or might not intuit right away. Yeah, because they're used to other games. Matt, can I tell you how glad I am to hear you say that? Because as a person who makes things. Uh, Granted, they require a lot less skill than the things you're making, um, but it is really tempting to say, like, no, we want everyone to, everyone in the world should all come together and drink a Coke, and that was my second Coke reference. <laughs> We're not Coke. sponsored by Coke, but everybody should come together and and, and all play the game, right? But um, th- that's just not really the way most good art gets made, right? You have to go for whatever your vision is understanding that some people can't or just won't be into that particular thing. And and that that's okay. They're not being excluded. It's just not everything, not every game, not every piece of music, not every, everything can be made for everyone. Cause the only things I know of that are that universal are water, air and food. And people still even find ways to complain about those. Yeah. And like I said, we are, we do want, everyone to have an option but we also acknowledge that it's still not for everyone it's it's a tough call to make you have to do a case by case like if if someone who's colorblind says like hey i can't distinguish between this then you you change it because like you're not going to use that excuse for that you're not going to be like well it's not made for colorblind people (laughs) you know uh that's an extreme case but i'm i'm sort of using it to point out that you always have to be like uh well this isn't you know, putting this in, is this a, a concession? Like, is this hurting the the point, the, the artistic goals? Most of the time, no. But 
if the answer comes down and it's like, yes, this is weird or this is annoying to some people, but it is pretty much exactly what we want to do and what we want to say, um, then sometimes you do have to put your foot down. I'm I'm glad to hear you guys say that because I I really think that's the right way to approach any creative project. Um, I do have to uh, make my one request. What I was really wanting while I was playing the demo was that weighty feeling you get when you kill someone with the home run bat in Super Smash Brothers. (laughs) I've I've been thinking about like. That, uh, there's basically one archetype that I that I have in my mind right now that we're missing from um, our moveset, and it's one really big hit that takes way too long. <laughs> and we need that. I don't know how we're going to do it, but we're going to do it. <laughs> Absolutely. Yes. We, uh, <laughs> one of the best pieces of feedback I got throughout the testing process was they wished there were more moves that felt like finishing moves. Mm, okay. And so that has been um, something I've been thinking about a lot. And that's mm-hmm. definitely a big contributor to it. Yeah, well, And this is something that you even said uh, to me while I was streaming, which was, um, you know, you can charge at the end of your combo, right? So even the idea of a finishing move kind of becomes a personal flavor, right? Am I trying to chain a three-hit combo and then a big, like, kerpam at the end? Or am I trying to hit them infinity times until they die and I don't need that big finishing kerbam, right? So for me, like based on the request I just gave you, I think it's pretty obvious. I want the big like wind up and then time slows down and their eyes bug out and they go rocketing off the edge of the screen. Like, <laughs> to me, that feels good, but I could totally respect someone who's like, oh, I didn't even know that move was in there because I just killed them by a million paper cuts and then zip off to the next combat. Yeah, we definitely do need one or two more. Like, uh, there's, there's like the findable spell in the demo is kind of a fun finisher. The, um, like the million stabs in the big one, uh, the forward pulse. But there's not that much. So we, we definitely that's one thing we're trying to like find spots in the moveset for. And this is where our like equipable abilities come in, where we can say like, all right, this changes this move into this, or it makes, um this like contextual version of it available where you can hold the button or something that always makes me think of like the charge upgrade in the Mega Man X series where you have your shot, you have your charge shot, you have your supercharged shot, but then you get the like crazy extra one. (laughs) The one like all the ones like circling around it. Yeah. Yeah. Where it's like, it's a huge time investment, but man, the payoff is there if you get it right. Right. Like if you, get knocked down and you fire it through a wall where there's no enemies, then you feel kind of like a a moron. But man, when you nail it, it's just like if someone is dumb enough to walk up to you when you've got the fully charged home run bat, like it's just, mm, it's a good feeling. (laughs) (laughs) Uh, Yeah. 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 So we're, we're still, we're definitely looking for ways. We we really want to like implement them as pulse moves, but we don't really, it's like, how do we put more on? We already have all the directions. (laughs) So, well, you know, we're still figuring it out. So I'm going to ask you uh, one more thing as we wrap up here, which uh, I know uh, just from my own experience and literally things you've both said during this conversation that there's a couple things I missed in the demo. 
uh, of the play sessions you have watched, is there anything hidden in, and you don't have to tell me what it is. Is there anything hidden in the demo that no one has found as far as you know? That no one, I think people found some things we didn't even intend for them to find, honestly. (laughs) (laughs) There's been a couple of like people got like to these weird, some, most of them I don't, care about fixing because it involves an infinite horizontal movement exploit that we just left in because we thought it'd be fun for people to find (laughs) but will be patched out of the main game um but there was one that was there's one secret where there's a smiley face made out of flowers somewhere um and i put that in because it was in a thing that was uh, nobody found it until it was like version 1.0 of the Kickstarter demo we put out to a couple of trusted people to test, and one person found it. Right. And I think only one other person <laughs> that we know of has found the, the smiley face flower room. So there's still exploring left to be done, even in the demo. That's awesome. I mean, there's still, you know, it's just the demo, and there's still still juice to squeeze out. Yeah. <laughs> Otherwise, we hit a boss, but I've actually told a lot of people where it is because yeah, there is a there is a secret harder version of the boss hidden in the demo. Yes, I uh, I, I was uh, able to get up there. Matt kind of gave me directions uh, and then watched me flounder at wall jumping, which is not on the game. That was totally on me. My timing <laughs> was just a mess, uh, and I very quickly realized that I was not up to snuff with that boss just yet. So I. <laughs> it's uh, it was it was deliberately made to be like <laughs> very hard. We, we it just just something like just one of those because uh, there's only so much content in a yeah. demo. So it's like if someone's really interested in the in this, let's give them something to chew on. You know, yeah, one of those fights where you just go at it again and again and <laughs> finally do it. <laughs> I love uh, it's one of my favorite experiences in in games is the really like when you get to the final boss or an optional thing and it's just like sometimes it'll take you multiple days to do it like you'll do like a two hour session and be like all right I'll try again tomorrow (laughs) of just one boss and I guess I mean I know a lot of people don't like that so we're keeping like really difficult stuff like that to harder difficulty modes and optional content (laughs) so we're not gonna. We're not going to make you uh, too upset in the main game. (laughs) For people like us that are crazy and masochistic, um, we'll have like those really brutally hard bosses and challenges and stuff. I'm with you. I I think that's the right way to do it, right? Is is make the game, you know, as broad as possible. And then for the the crazies and and I, I count myself among them, I did beat the, in bosses in Hollow Knight, although it took me like weeks of oh, trying. Yeah. Same. same. 100% same. But this has been really awesome. I, I appreciate you guys uh, coming on talking to me. Um, I'm going to put links to uh, the Kickstarter, uh, to both of you and your work uh, in the show notes. Um, but besides the, the Kickstarter, is there anything specific you wanted to plug or let folks know about to, to keep an eye on or look out for? Yeah, the Kickstarter is like... Well, 100% of our focus right now. <laughs> you know what? I will I will say two things, because two people helped us get here. Go look up uh, Domino99designs on Twitter, because he helped uh, work on some of the promotional material we put in our trailer yes. and yeah, a couple yeah, yeah. assets. We also, um, we talk a little bit about people much. who helped us in, in a Kickstarter update as well, if you want more details. 
Yeah, and go look up the game Forgato, because I became good friends with the uh, lead artist and designer for that project, Detrol, and he really helped me push my art up ahead. He drew the ship in the demo as well. Mm-hmm. 90% of it was us too, but <laughs> we definitely have a lot of people who are like just super reliable, super good people that helped us push that that extra bit that we couldn't do. Uh, and it and it, it shows that you guys are are putting all your your love and attention into this because even just the demo was was super fun. So I appreciate you what you're doing. Um, I've backed, so I hope listeners uh, go check out the Kickstarter, play the demo if you like it, if it's fun, back it so it can exist. Um, help these, please help these guys make a game. <laughs> yeah. All right. Well, it's been super fun to be on the show. Go uh, play our demo, even if you don't back the Kickstarter, play the demo. I promise it's good. <laughs> Go beat the secret boss. And thank you. For having uh, us. You don't have to. You don't have to beat the secret boss. Do it but, if you, you know, want to. If you do it and screenshot it and send it in the Discord, I'll give you a thumbs up emoji. The curtain falls. The music plays. The credits roll. Then it all fades to black. And you're left by yourself. The fanfare is gone. There's no player two there by your side to share victories won. But as you slowly progress down the hall to your bed, a few great events leak back into your head from the time that you spent traversing the land. Battling evil, fighting the darkness, just sword in hand. Your memories creep in with the edge of a smile. You realize again what you lost for a while. You gotta think back much less. 